Hello everyone, welcome back to Dad Space. Today I have an amazing dad with us today. Uh, Dr. John Diarmo is here and uh, we're going to talk about his story opening his home as a foster parent, his own family and adoption, so many different things we're going to talk about today. Dr. John DeGarmo, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Thank you for the opportunity. It's exciting. Um, so let's jump in. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family life. Um, reading through your website, I have it up here as we're chatting. Uh, you guys opened your home up to children throughout the years. Would love to kind of get your thoughts on on the whole idea of, this, of being that kind of parent that opens their home up to, to kids where you and your wife have. Can you give us a little backstory a little bit about your journey? Sure. Thanks for asking. My wife and I have been parents to over 60 plus children who have come through our home as foster parents or adoptive parents or biological children, if you will. You know, in our house, there's really no label. There's no label for adoptive, watcher, adoptive, for biological, they're all our children. And, and we've had the blessing of uh, having over 60 plus children come and join our family. It's amazing. And I'm glad you qualified that, that there's no label. That is nice to hear. Uh, how did it all start for you guys as far as opening your home this way? Was that um, a moment in time where the two of you sat down and, and had that conversation that this is where you wanted to go? Yes, it was a moment in time. Uh, you know, I think back to the death of our first child of a condition called anencephaly or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or skull doesn't truly form. And that's when we were living in Australia, the time where my wife is from. And so after that incident, I was really in a, in a as you can imagine, a very bad space, if you will. I turned my back on many, many things at the time. And then we moved back to the United States and I was teaching in a rural part of the state of Georgia, very, very rural high school. Um, had three healthy children at that point, biological children. And I noticed some kids coming through my classroom who had issues of attendance or behavior, academics. And I was really noticing that I was coming through the um, through their homes. You know, it was environment, environmental. In addition, there was, uh, at the time, one of the largest child sex trafficking rings in America happening. It was uh, late 90s, early 2000s by by a person who called himself Dr. Malachi York of the what he called the Nawabian Nation. He was eventually arrested for bringing over a thousand children over state borders for child sex trafficking. But I had these kids in my classroom, these kids who were neglected, these kids who had been abandoned, these kids who were abused, these kids in child sex trafficking. And I said to my wife, you know, we lost our first child. We're blessed with three healthy children. How can we help other kids? You know, any given moment, there's five million children experiencing domestic violence in their own homes. What can we do to help these children? And so that got the the conversation started, if you will, about foster parenting and which led to um, a very different type of lifestyle. I heard somebody say early on when we had our children were born, uh, Dr. John, that, that when you have a child, it's like your heart beats outside of you for the rest of your life. And I always thought that was an interesting picture that no matter like right now, my kids are all out of the house and we're empty nesters. My kids are out doing life today. I really haven't spoken to everyone today. But my heart is beating outside of me. It's somewhere else right now, you know, doing whatever they're doing right now. It's just that feeling of how this is your legacy and how this kind of goes past who you are as a person. Once you bring children into the world and once you, what you and your wife have done, how much of your heart can you give away with 60 plus children coming to your home? I, I can't imagine 
there's 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 a little piece of you in all of them and their story and who they are. Was it difficult to do that? No. No. Well, being a boss parent is very hard. Very hard. Giving my heart away, sure, that's hard because there's lots of grief. When, when the children leave our homes for whatever reason, it's like losing a member of our family. But when it comes to the aspect of giving my heart away, you know, every child's may be a much better person in some way. And I've learned to love so much more because of these children who have come into my home. Children who have experienced such horrific abuse or trauma or neglect or abandonment, you know, they have made me a better person. And uh, my heart has grown so much as a result. What about for everyone in the home, your wife and your other children? What is it? What did it feel like for them growing up? What kind of stories do they have to share now uh, growing up in that environment? Uh, I think they've got some great stories, probably, because <laughs> um, it's not always easy. You know, when you have a child in your house who has issues of anger or attachment, trust, filled with various anxieties. Uh, that's that's tough. That's tough. Um, but I think my children at the same time are much be better people for it. Now, now none of them may be foster parents. At the same time, I think every one of them will lead a life of serving others in some way. Because my children have come to see up close and very, very personal suffering. And they've had these children their age who have suffered tremendously and they've lived with them and, you know, ate next to them at the table and played with them and gone on vacation with them. So they, they recognize suffering very quickly. And all of my children have, I think, a very much more compassionate heart than perhaps others their age because they've seen it firsthand what it's like. Um, so I think all my kids are going to lead a life of serving others in some way. They're always the first ones who, who are, are standing up for somebody or um, want to help somebody. And I think that's because... I think that's because of our foster parenting experience. Yeah, I love that. And so for a future foster parent, maybe listening to the podcast, they that this is their heart as well. They don't know really where to start. What, from your perspective, what does a, what does a child coming into your home need from you as foster parents? Are they looking for security? Are they looking for uh, just acceptance? What is What makes that transition into your home really, really successful from your, from your point of view? Well, I think it's important to note that you can provide all that stability, that structure, that safety, that consistency, that nurturing, and that unconditional love that all these children need. You can provide all that. But at the end of the day, it's a very scary time for a child being placed into a foster care home, You know, however stable and, and loving it might be. Um, you know, You can put aside all the abuse and the trauma and the neglect they've experienced beforehand. Being placed into my home or any foster parent's home is a time of anxiety because they have questions like, why am I here? Did I do something wrong? Will I ever see my mom and dad again? Does anybody love me? Is it my fault? Who are these people? Will they hurt me as well? Yeah. All these questions are going through their brain and there's no answers for them because I'm a stranger to them. My, my, my norms, my family, myself, we're all strangers to these children who have been ripped so many times very quickly right. from their place of norm. Now, their place of norm might be horrific abuse or neglect or whatever it might be, um, but that's still their norm. That's still their normalcy. Um, that's still their mother and their father. So when they place in my house and we're protecting them, it takes time for them to recognize that, you know what, this might be a different house, this might be a different family, but I'm going to be okay here. 
I'm going to be safe here. These people are not going to hurt me here. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the healing begins. But it takes time. It takes a lot of patience and understanding. The great part, partnership between yourself and your wife as well to go through this together. Um, what kind of things did you need from each other as foster <laughs> parents that could, that could come into that conversation as well? Patience, understanding, compassion, uh, partnership. You know, I could I could never do it without her. And I think she would probably say the same thing about me because there are times where it's exhausting. There are times when it's just simply exhausting. Your foster parents experience feelings of grief or loss in child leaves. We feel we feel experiences of um, burnout or stress, um, something known as secondary traumatic stress or compassion fatigue. Foster parents often struggle with that. So there are times where we might be struggling and you need to have somebody who is right there with you who will help you along the way or understand when, you know, you might need a moment. Um, You know, again, I couldn't do without my wife. I know of a family that does exchange students who come into their home and in a parallel kind of way, they become part of their family for that period of time that they're living in their home and experiencing America or Canada and that taking them back to the airport feeling when this is all done and they go back to their home, it's heartbreaking in a sense because you're you're breaking off a relationship where you've really come close with someone and you've really grown as a family having them in your home. Um, I guess it's got to be traumatic as well as a foster parent to see children leave your home and now go on after the fact. How did you guys kind of deal with that? Well, you know, unlike... Uh, your, your friend experience for many foster parents when a child is returning back home to their their birth parents through unification, which is the end goal of foster parenting. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Will this child be safe? Are they going back to an environment that will be abusive or neglectful? Will they end up homeless? So there's a lot of uncertainty for us as foster parents, and we fear many times the future of these children. So not only are you experiencing feelings of grief and loss, you're also fear, uh, experiencing these concerns as well. So it's, again, it's a, it's a very, very different style of parenting. And 50% of kids in foster care are reunified with their birth parents. Of that 50%, 20 to 30% come back into care because their parents were not ready yet. Perhaps they were struggling with their own anxieties or abuse. Perhaps they didn't get the help they needed. Perhaps they sink back into their previous addictions. Abuse happens again. Um, so so sometimes when the kids go back home, it's not a happy ending. In fact, it's it's uh, sadly happens too often. What uh, age range of children did you have coming through your home? <laughs> as young as 27 hours of age and as old as oh. 18 years of age have been placed in our home. Wow. Uh, we've had as many as 11 at the same time. We've had seven in diapers at the same time. Um, we, I recall a time we had a... Five-week premature baby who weighed four four point two pounds and uh, was on a breathing respirator and had to be fed by bottle every ninety minutes, which meant ten o'clock at night, eleven thirty at night, one a.m., two thirty a.m., four a.m., five thirty a.m. That was <laughs> was exhausting, um, but it was a it was a wonderful experience that I would never trade for anything. Do you have? interactions with some of the kids that have come through your home in the past now as adults and older now and maybe aged out of the system and 
Do you have that kind of intera- interaction with them? With some we do, and those are wonderful experiences. Yeah. Yes, I chat. I chat as often as I can with some of them. Um, you know, some of them come to visit us, um, but some don't. And then, and that may be simply because when the children return home, we as foster parents might be a part of their birth parents' life that they don't want to remember. They don't want to acknowledge. Uh, they don't want to dwell upon because it's, an, it's a reminder of their past that they might not want to acknowledge, you know, past past of uh, abusing their child or past of neglecting their child or past of struggling to parent their child. So so sometimes foster parents are um, shut out, if you will, of these children's lives. And I understand that. I, I, I understand that. It, but it makes it hard because, again, when the kids come to your home, and you love them with all of your heart because that's what they need, number one. We might be the first person who's ever loved them in any way, in any fashion, in any positive, healthy fashion. So when you give them all of your heart and they go home and you never hear from them again, that, that can be tough. kind of things really melted your heart or confirmed for you guys that you were doing the right thing when you did hear back from these kids? When they did come back into your life to say thank you or to talk to you now as older kids what kind of things did they say to you that maybe you didn't realize at the time that you had done for them but being part of your home how did how did that sure sure many stories like that many stories like that i think of a i think of a time we had a uh, 13 year old boy place in our house on his birthday his mother had abandoned him on his birthday on along the side of highway on his birthday can you imagine being abandoned on your birthday um and when he came to us at 13 years of age, he was uh, he was just filled with so much confusion. Why would my mother do this? Was it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Does she not love me anymore? Does anybody love me? And I remember him crying himself to sleep that night. And 2 o'clock in the morning, I got up and went to the, drove an hour away to a local 24-hour store to buy him some birthday gifts. And he was only with us for four, for four days, only with us for four days before he went to live with um like a, an aunt and uncle in a different state. And I thought, you know, he wasn't with us long enough to make him much of a difference. And then years later, I was at a store in our small town, and and this much older person said to me, he wasn't a kid anymore, I said, Mr. John, hi there. And I just thought, well, hello, how are you? I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I thought one of my former students. And it turned out it was him, and he was coming through town, and he um, just wanted to say thank you for for taking care of him and thank you for buying those gifts. And, you know, I recognize at that point, planting a seed in these kids, a seed that can really blossom into something else or, you know, or, or, uh, made an impact in some way. And that was, uh, it was very reassuring. That's one of many stories. So being a foster parent, but also a teacher and involved in students' lives in so many different ways, like my audience is all dads, who are looking to be a better partner, a better uh, father, a better community member, and also being good to themselves. From your perspective and all the things you've learned and what you know, I want to talk to that dad that's listening right now to us. What are some of the things that we as dads can develop in our own homes to have greater impact, bring more love into our families, and be a good example? From your perspective, what what do you think we need to work on as dads? Well, you've said example. We have to recognize that we're always an example. These kids are always listening to us, always watching us. And everything we say and everything we do is as a role model for the children in their homes. 
so many kids grow up in homes that do not have a positive male role model. So as a, as a, as a father or a father figure, I'm, I'm a role model of how to treat people, how to treat my wife, how to treat my children, how I treat my daughters, how to treat others in society when I'm at the gas station or the restaurant, someone's rude to me. That's, I think that's important. Also time, time is so important. Spending time with the children, putting the phone down, turning the computer off, turning the TV off and spending time, um, you know, sitting down and reading to the kids or spending time cooking with them or teaching them new experiences, um, not being afraid to show emotion. I, I recall back Oh, goodness, 28 years ago when our first child died, and I thought at the time that I can't cry. I, I had to be strong for my wife. I, I can't be weak. The tears are weakness. I threw myself in my work. I denied my guilt, my grief, I'm sorry, and, and um, thought I must be strong. I was foolish, absolutely foolish. And I think the children learn the most from me is when I'm showing real emotion, show my children it's okay to cry. It's okay to be afraid sometimes. It's okay to um, you know, to share your feelings. So I think those are important. And, and many men don't do that, sadly. They're under the misconception that men don't do that. So so false, so false. I think we're doing a disservice to our children when we, when we pretend that we're not sad or pretend that we're not afraid. Um, because again, we don't want to show that our children are weak. Well, I think we're actually just strength. So I think those are some important skills and reminders that all fathers need to have. And I guess the whole topic of losing a child is something that no one can ever prepare you for that. There's no book, there's no course, there's no video that can ever give you the ability to deal with that. I know we do this together with our partners and our it's it's a bonding moment. It's also a horrifying moment um, for those dads that are that have lost a child. Your thoughts, your your wisdom on that as well. How do we how do we get up that next day and and carry forward without burying it like you mentioned? What are your thoughts? Support, support group of some kind. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I couldn't do any of this without my wife. Right her with the utmost respect as an equal 50 50 um, in all that we do um you know honesty integrity communication communication is so important communicate with your spouse communicate with your children you know I, again I, I point out the fact that my children are always watching always listening to me so if i want my son to treat his wives i'm sorry his wife um or my daughters to be treated by their husbands in a fashion of complete and utter respect and integrity, I've got to model that on how I treat my wife and how my relationship is with her. You know, at the end of the day, too, when the children leave our homes, it's just me and my wife. So we need to make sure that we built that strong foundation of respect, of friendship, of interests, of love um, before the kids leave. So uh, those are, I think those are some important reminders. So when, when that but, you know, I, I didn't do well when the death of my first child happened. And then when the children as foster care started leaving my home, um, child after child after child, you know, foster parents' hearts like a quilt with all these patches placed over it. Mm. Um, you know, it, it support, 
a support group is is important for me to 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 share my concerns or feelings with others instead of bottling them up or refusing to acknowledge them. That it's important um, for me. Prayer time is very important. Spending time in prayer, maybe meditation for others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, self care of course is is integral as well. If you can't care for yourself, you can't care for the kids in your home. Amazing. So what? Um... What dad lessons are you learning right now in your journey? We're always growing, we're always developing, and we're always on that path. What's something right now that you're kind of learning about yourself or your family? Well, I have six children, three biological, three adoptive. My oldest is, at the moment, she's 25. My youngest Mm. is 10. Um, They're all such different personalities, so different which is wonderful. I love that. I love they have different personalities, different interests. Um, they're so different from each other, which to me is exciting. Exciting to see their future unfold. But, you know, I've, I've, I've noted um, that as a parent, I just don't stop worrying. <laughs> I don't stop worrying, whether it's my 10-year-old or my 25-year-old. Um, and they continue to need support. You know, I, I check, I try to check, as you mentioned, your kids are older and they're not in the house and my, three of mine aren't as well. So I'm always trying to check in with them and see how they're doing and just have conversations with them. And just because they leave the home, the conversation doesn't stop. They still need their daddy. Yeah. You know, I'm always going to be their daddy to them. Um, you know, one of the gifts I, I had happen to me was, I think 16 years ago, I started up a father-daughter dance in our church, and I want to show my daughters how to be treated as, you know, by their males in their life with respect and integrity and decency, at the same time to further build our relationships with them. That's been wonderful for me as well to 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 do that. Um, so I encourage men, fathers, to find things they can do with their children one-on-one. You know, make those relationships early on in their lives, early on in their lives. You can't begin a relationship with a person when they're 18 years of age and they're ready to head out the door. Yeah. You don't build it in the beginning. Um, but, you know, I'm always learning every single day to be sure. 60 plus kids and I'm still learning how to be a father or father figure to these kids. Because mm-hmm. every child, again, is different. Every child has different strengths. Every child has different weaknesses. Every child has different needs. Every child has different concerns or fears. Every child has different dreams and visions. That's, but again, that's fun. It's enjoyable to see how these things unfold. What I love listening to you is the legacy that you're building um, through all the children that have come through your home and the ones that have come and stayed. That is also another story as well. The whole idea around adoption and expanding your family in that way it's a beautiful a beautiful picture you know in my family there's we have uh, family members that have been adopted into the family and it's just that it's a very special and unique situation to be able to do that and to bring someone in and they are family they're not they are fully family and i love that feeling of of having them in our in our homes Talk a little bit about the journey of adoption for you and what that meant for you. That's another that's another thing on top of everything you guys have been doing is to bring these kids into your home in this way. It's very special. Talk about the adoption journey a little bit. 
Well, as I write in several of my books, I never planned on adopting. It was never something I set out to do, even when I became a foster parent, which I never set out to do either. But I never planned on adopting children. It just, uh, for these children, it was just a circumstantial. Their, their parental rights were terminated um, and they needed a place to go home. So, of course, they had, to, they had to come live with us because they were our family. And we had the blessing or gift of, of adopting, of having them join our family forever, if you will. Always be a Degarmo, if you will. Now, each of those adoptions were challenged at some point in different ways. And again, those are my books. Um, and the adoption process weren't easy for us because of the uh, the, the roadblocks, if you will, that we had to clear. Um, because the foster care system is, is different. You know, when there when there's adoption through foster care, there are it's unique circumstances. But um, what wonderful blessings. I would do it again and again and again if I could adopt. Um, just another opportunity for my family to grow in love. You know, I think every Christmas day is... And Christmas Day is a special day at our house. It's the only day of the year that no one leaves the house for, you know, because <laughs> we got all these kids in the family where my wife and I have full-time jobs. She's a doctor of nutrition. I read of the foster care institute. So we're always, and then, you know, when you got all these kids in the house, you know, you're going here and there and here and there. So Christmas Day is just a day of tremendous laughter and joy and as it should be, you know, as mm -hmm. Christmas Day should be all about. Um, so I think back to, you know, and, and our family's been blessed through adoption to for our family to grow in that regard. Um, now, of course, there are challenges with all adoptions. Post-adoption depression syndrome is something that 65% of adoptive parents experience, and of course, children experience as well. Um, but again, what a wonderful blessing for my entire family. And if you look at my family, you would see different shapes, different colors, um, but in our house, there's no... There's no black or white. We're all the same color, just different shades of God's skin. Um, and again, there's no label. So we're just one. This is what family looks like. Yeah. And I love when you mentioned that right off the top about the labels. That's, I think that is the, that's a unique thing about what you've presented here so far is just that that is the one thing that, that kids are looking for. They're looking for that acceptance. They're looking for home. And again, like to have someone there for four days. Or for years, I, mm. I love that you opened your home in that way, and and it speaks for you and your family for you to jump in the car and go get some presents, like you know that's 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 the unexpected, that's that second mile thing that people do, that I wish more people did, because that's the stuff people remember, is uh, when when uh, Mr. John got in the car and went and got some gifts for me in that moment. That's something you'll never forget, you know, and it might have seemed small at the moment, but life changing. I love that. So for you, Dr. John, tell us a little more about your books as well, because I'm sure that's going to be a, a great resource for dads that are listening. Uh, tell us more about what you've written. Well, I think for your audience, the, there are two books that might be of interest. Uh, Fostering Love, One Foster Parent's Journey is from a father's perspective of what it's like being a father to all these children, the, the challenges that go along with it, the joys, the successes, the sorrows and grief, um, the humor that can go along with being a parent. Um, and there's a book called Love and Mayhem, One Big Family Happy Journey of Adoption of Fostering, which is kind of a sequel to Love and Mayhem. I'm sorry, to Fostering Love. If somebody's considering being a foster parent, the book, The Foster Parenting Manual, 
or a pure person of faith, the book Faith and Foster Care are are good books too um, for those fathers who are who are thinking about you know what what's it like being a father? What's it like being father of many children or adoption? What's it like being a foster parent? Um, you know, everybody can help a child in some way in where they live, and and uh, and sadly, there's a crisis for our children today where they're coming from so many different broken homes. As I said earlier, 5 million children experience domestic violence in their house, 300,000 children victims of human trafficking, 450,000 children in the foster care system, which means there's a lot, millions of children in our nation, sadly, who are living in homes that are abusive, verbally, physically, sexually abusive to them. They don't have, so many kids don't have a positive father figure in their life. Um, so it's up to us to to help these children in crisis. If not us as fathers, yeah. then who? Who will right. do that? The need is amazingly high for people to open their homes in this way. Um, so from your perspective, are we making an impact? Are we on the right path? Is there a bigger need than we all realize? There's what a bigger we... need than we all realize, okay. to be sure. Yeah. I call human trafficking America's ugly secret. It makes us feel uncomfortable so we don't address it, even though it's happening in every community. It makes us feel uncomfortable so we don't address it, we ignore it, we talk about other things like sports, politics, um, entertainment, movies, whatever it might be. Uh, we don't talk about the real issues, and that's children. As I tell legislators all the time, these aren't goods and services these are children and their lives. Their lives are at risk. And sadly, the need is growing even more and more so. We're seeing a tremendous increase in teenage suicides since 2020. Seeing a tremendous increase in teenage depression, anxiety, um, all because of the some of the unnecessary and ridiculous... Um, and dangerous, downright dangerous decisions that society made during COVID when we decided to shut these schools down. I was crying out. People were saying, we need to protect these kids and keep them home from, from dangers of school and viruses. And I said, I am far more concerned about the mental health aspects and the physical aspects than I am, I, I am of any virus. Because when you're locking children at home with their abuser, 5 million children at home with their abuser, there's no mandated reporter. There's no teacher to see them. There's no caseworker, child welfare worker to see them. Wow. What are we doing to these children? Right. Well, we're seeing the results. Rise in human trafficking. Rise in teenage suicide. Rise in teenage depression. Yeah. And that's, I think that the whole COVID thing that we went through and everything was a moment in time that none of us was prepared to ever see or experience in life. And you look back at it and you can think there's a lot of other ways we could have handled all of this so that well, people were healthy coming out of this, yeah. right? Yeah. Unfortunately, there were there were some out there like us who were saying, like myself, were saying, this is not the right path. This right. is not the right path. And I was, as I said in 2020, the real pandemic is mental health. And our children right now are suffering with tremendous issues of mental health. Your perspective then as we look into our homes and into the lives of our children, anything that we can be super aware of that we can help our kids who might be struggling with anxiety, maybe they're struggling with some of the things we've talked about, 
How do we get our radar out so that we're really aware of what's happening in our homes? What kind of tools do we need? We need to interact with our children and get them off devices, the social media, online technology. We need to interact with our children. We need to put the phone down. We need to have our children put the phone down. Yeah. At dinner time, at dinner time at our house, you know, we have this little box of questions where we just each person and then around the table pulls out a question and each person at the table's got to answer the question that was asked. It's designed to engage in conversation and have conversations mm-hmm. instead of staring at a phone. Um, we need to be conscious of who our children are talking to online. You know, you and I live in an online world. Our children inhabit that world. It's a big difference, yeah. big difference. And that world that they inhabit is fraught with so many dangers. You know, predators, online predators, sexual trafficking, um, mental health issues, issues of body image, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And go on and on all day long about it. So we need to, again, that's where we need to have the communication and relationships instead of our children spending all their time online. It's not healthy in any way, in any way. To be sure, there are many advantages to social media technology, but when children are spending all of their time on it, physically, mentally, socially, it's very unhealthy for them. So as fathers, we need to engage with our children, have conversations with our children, have fun with our children, teach our children, um, laugh with our children, cry with our children, love our children. So somebody else, so they're not seeking that all of that from somebody else online. They're not seeking someone to love them online. They're not seeking someone to sit down and talk with them online. Mm-hmm. I love the picture of our, us as fathers being a safe harbor for our kids to come back to. So they go out into the world, they do life, they come back. And that's where they can anchor in and they're safe from everything and they just have that. And I think if we don't do a good job as parents, they're going to try to find that safe harbor somewhere else. Right. And it's not going to be safe. So whatever we can do as parents to create that space, like you're talking about, I love the idea of of the questions around the dinner table. That is so super, super smart. Instead of sitting in front of the television with a little plate in our lap not talking to each other or in our rooms on our phones that's a great example and i think everyone needs to do that in some form because that's a that's a super suggestion we have no tech tuesday at our house no devices we'll sit down and play games instead nice and i love the idea that you're saying it comes from us first we have to set the example so if we're living on our phones and telling them not to that's a terrible example to yes yes if I am playing games on my phone three hours a day, then why can't my kids? If I'm watching videos on my phone all day long, then why can't my kids? The problem is, what are children watching online? Who are they talking to online? Yeah. Um, you know, so many children today have not learned how to develop good social skills, communication skills, look somebody in the eye mm-hmm. because they're online all the time because no one in their life has done that. Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I know for my my kids growing up, they don't even know how to sign their own name. They don't they don't handwrite and cursive write and all that. And it's like, man, we had that in school. We were taught how to write and how to write a check and all this stuff. There's it's a totally different world, and we have to kind of address that and and give our kids the tools to be who they need to be in life. Right, right, right. excellent, Doctor John. Where do we find your information? Where do we go for more information about the books? 
um, and to stay and get in contact with you. Thanks for asking. Uh, simply just type in the Foster Care Institute, the Foster Care Institute, or Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert. You'll find all my resources, my videos, my I did a podcast for four years, Parenting Factors with Dr. John, um, articles, books, and it's just not all adoption or foster care. It's about parenting in general. So if there's a child in your life, whether it's your own child as a father, grandfather, uncle, whatever it might be, there are many resources there available for you. And I think I want to remind us, or your listeners, one more time that the children in your life are listening and watching you at all times, and you are going to be a role model for somebody at all times. It's a high calling to be a father, a parent, to open your home the way the two of you have, and uh, a great example to all of us that we can we can have an impact far beyond ourselves and who we are to ourselves, but who we are to others. It's a great example, Dr. John. Thank you so much oh, for being part of this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Everyone, all the information will be in the show notes. Please go and support Dr. John and all the great things he has there as resources himself. A plethora of things are that you can help you and your family. So, Dr. John, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Hey, thanks for listening to Dad Space today. I'm so thankful that you were here for this episode. If uh, you like the show, please let another dad know. Hey, <laughs> that kind of rhymed. Anyways, uh, share the episode out with somebody in your circle who would love Dad Space. That means so much to us here for our guests who donate their time to be on the show. And we just want to see this grow. So, again, another rhyme. Oh, wow. Anyhow, <laughs> um, I think I need to write a song or something. Thank you for being here for with Dad Space. And again, looking forward to the next episode. Look forward to having you here again with us. And if we can help you in any way, if you have a great guest idea for the show, a topic that we you would love us to cover, we would love to do that here on Dad Space. So thanks for listening and thanks for being part of the community. And to you, Dad, thank you for listening and thank you for sharing Dad Space. Catch you on the next one. Take care.